0: the sun continues to shine and that spring once again is here. And God, we thank you for your presence with us today. As we go into your message, and I just ask God that as we go into this message that the words that I speak, they be of you and for you and to your glory and that every heart, mind, spirit, soul be awakened to you today. It is in your son's name I pray. Amen. Whoa, like... So the last time I was up here, people were still milling about, and then everyone sat down. So now I'm like, oh, look, like there's a bunch of people here. <laughs> and it's a lot quieter than the last time I was up here. Um, so I forgot to mention two things when I got up here. One, so we have Gabe and we have Jeremy back here playing in the band. Uh, Gabe's played one time, and this is Jeremy's first time. So yes, so good to see their faces up there. Um, And Jacob, who typically plays drums for us and has been since the beginning of the year, he was exposed to COVID. So he's at home. So y'all just be praying for Jacob, um, that we get to see him back in a couple of weeks, uh, and that he does not get sick or show too many symptoms. Um, And then the second thing that I wanted to share is Michelle who's back there with her little tablet thing. She's always running our music and everything. So one of the things that we've been doing um, here at church for the last year and a half or so is we've been doing Dave Ramsey classes. Um, a big part of when we ask people to give here at the church, I never felt right or authentic in asking that of people without also offering the opportunity for people to be health, healthy in their finances. So that's something that we practice here so that people can learn about debt, learn about saving, learn about investing, learn about insurance, learn about all those things that, that build out a really wise on financial plan for you or your family. Um, and so Michelle this week paid off her credit card debt for the first time. So she took that class last year, last spring. So you know when you do, when you start sign on and commit to Dave Ramsey, it might take you several years to get out of that debt, and it can become daunting it can feel like it'll never happen but then that day it does happen so uh, you just have to keep on trucking so I just wanted to say congratulations Michelle and her husband Amos y'all did an awesome job all right so let me ask you a question and this is not a rhetorical question I I actually want you to to say this out loud okay where is your favorite place to go beach Disney, mountains, the river, yes, to your friend's house, that's precious, your bed, yes. We all have like a favorite place, right? Like a place that we go to that makes us feel either like our truest selves or a place that we go to and helps us feel connected, maybe rested, so I'm a, I'm a mountain person. Like, I love being in the mountains. I love the crisp air, the deep woods, and I love when there's water nearby. Bonus points that the water is cold, so after I've been hiking for a long time, I can put my swollen feet into the cold water and let them cool off for a little while. So a couple of years ago... Um, our family, we went to Chimney Rock State Park. Uh, it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And we hiked all day up there. Um, I mean, we hiked up the mountain, back down the mountain. We did every trail that they have. And, and the day was exhausting. But if you didn't know where Chimney Rock State Park is, it's at Lake Lure, where Dirty Dancing was filmed. So, um, of course, I had to get this image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. cuz you couldn't not do that, right? But like that's one of my happy places. That's one of the places that like I feel at home. And there there's a we're not still up there. Are we? Okay. <laughs> uh, that's one of those places. It's got a good mix of like I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so it's got the mountains and the trees that kind of make me feel at home while it's still in the south, so it has the culture and While I will not say that North Carolina has as good a food as uh, South Louisiana, I will say that it's better food than Portland, Oregon. (laughs) So it still has the southern stuff that I love while also being set in the mountains, and it just gives me a sense of peace being there. So everyone has a place that they love to go, whether it's their own backyard, their friend's house, or maybe somewhere distant. And we all desire that place because we were created to desire a place. We are created to desire a place that makes us feel connected and at peace. So in our scripture today, we're going to see that Jesus knows that about us. That God knows that about us, knows that design, that innate desire to be connected and have a special place to find rest and peace and maybe it's even fun maybe that place uh, provides nourishment you know if your favorite place is a restaurant like maybe it's because the food but either way there is a place for us and so jesus will call this a dwelling place and so we're again in the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John all through Lent. Um, and that's a season in the church that we go through. to It's a season of repentance where we reorient our lives back to Christ. It's that season where we say, I may have strayed. I may have been disconnected, distracted, uh, or maybe just not living, doing, being, who I know I was called to be. And so the season of Lent is a specific season for us to kind of draw in and repent of that and reorient ourselves because we all lose our way from time to time. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) All right, so... If you um, had picked up a fridge sheet, we have some out on the welcome table, but that's kind of like what we do here all month long, and if you picked one up at the beginning of the month, you would see like our reading plan that we're reading all through John, through Lent, Um, and so if you want to pick that up on your way out, you can read that, but this week we're going to be in John 14, 1 through 7, so you can open that up on your phone if you want to, or the words are going to be on the screen uh, behind me. All right, Jesus said... Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You know the place, the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas, don't you just love Thomas? He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, some of this language might sound strange um, if you don't know that Jesus described the church as his bride. So for the disciples to be gathered there and hearing this, what they're picturing is is a marriage custom, because this is what would happen in um, biblical times in a marriage. So two families would decide that they were interested in their children getting married, And when they decide that they're going to get married, that would unite the two families. And we we say that, like when couples get married now, like you, now two families are becoming one family. But really, in-laws don't hang out with in-laws that often. Every now and then, there's an exception to that if you really like your (laughs) in-laws. But for the most part, they don't, like you might live in a different area. But this really did unite two families. These two families would become one. So the parents would sit down, and they would start negotiations Right? So, like the the parents of the groom and the parents of the bride would sit down to discuss just how much the bride was worth. If you were as you know, especially beautiful, but also came from a well-off family and you were morally upright, like you were gonna get some extra cattle in that deal. Like it, it was going to be you might get olive oil and wine too. Like, it was, it was not just, you know, farm animals. You might start to store your pantry, too. And that might happen. There, there's a few exceptions to this, but, like, you know, if you were just exceptionally beautiful, like, and every other groom around the area, you were a high market item. And so, like, you're going to go for a lot of sheep. That's how they would kind of work these things out. And once that contract was signed, once they had agreed on that contract, you're essentially married at that point. There's no like going back and changing your mind because a better suitor comes along. Like that would that would not ever happen. That you are essentially married, but you don't yet like do the ceremony and move in together. What happens is once you agree on that contract, you agree on the price. The parents of the bride go home and start c- collecting their provisions what they're going to give the groom And the groom goes home to his parents and starts preparing a place for his bride. And then when that, that might take months. It could take a year. Once it's ready, that is when the groom comes back to get his bride. And they will have a wedding party like you can't even imagine. Like some of their weddings last two weeks long. Like they would throw down for two weeks weeks celebrating this union and then everyone goes home feeling terrible (laughs) so when Jesus uses this language with his disciples and he says I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am he's describing that groom coming back and getting his bride I've prepared a place, and I'm going to come back for you. He's preparing a place, a place that goes, on, goes beyond the places that we love. It's deeper and wider than any mountain, lake, beach, whatever you, place you imagine to be your place. The place that Jesus prepares for us is so much more than those Places because it is a place designed just for us it's a place that unites humanity with god it creates this new family a connection that we can never possibly imagine the goodness of that until we get to experience it so thomas asks jesus because he's describing this like i'm going to this place and then i'm coming back for you and Thomas asked Jesus, "You haven't told us where you're going." Like can you imagine like picturing this right now?" And Thomas is like, "But where? Like, where is this place going to be? Like, is he talking about here? Are we overtaking the temple and he's like creating a new place? I'm going to have a bedroom down the the hall from the king's room. (laughs) Like, is this what he's talking about? Or is he gathering people up and, and we're going to go again to a new land and start over? Is he like going to like get things ready there? You haven't told us where you're going. How will we know how to get there? How will we know the way? Like us today, the disciples struggled with understanding just who Jesus is and what being a follower of Jesus looks like. Because Thomas got that they were going to a place and that Jesus was setting up this place. He had used these weddings and parables, and like he'd used them in parables. So like that imagery that Jesus was saying, it was familiar and he understood, like, okay, we're the, we're the bride, got it. I know that there's going to be a place. And that makes sense to us too, right? We've been told that there is a place for us after death our whole lives. Whether you grew up in the faith or not, heaven is something that we all learn about. It is a universal understanding even for those who do not believe in God. Never, re- never mind really trying to understand what the Bible says about heaven and never, never mind trying to figure out um, what people say that heaven is. Heaven is a universal comfort zone for us all. We all identify with it because we all want that part of the Bible to be true. And I had, a, I had a discussion with someone a few years ago um, who describes himself as agnostic. So they acknowledge that there's something out there, might be a monotheistic God, but like, eh, might not be too. I'm good with just knowing that there's like a creator maybe out there, but also don't feel like it means anything to me and I'm okay if there's not one, all right? So we're having this discussion and they're talking about that. Um, but she adamantly believed in heaven. I mean adamantly, because she had lost people. She had lost people that she loved. She She had three close family members that died in one year. So the idea of heaven was something that she was absolute on, because they had to be there. So my question for her was this. If you do not believe in a god, if you do not believe in a creator, then where do you get your understanding of heaven? Where where does that come from? Where did you learn about it? Where did you get the words for it? How do you describe it? And the only thing that she could really say was I just know it's there. I just know because I have faith. Thought that was interesting. And she said, I just believe that there's a place where we go when we die, and I just believe that that's where my people are. Now, this is not an uncommon mindset. As the world gets less and less interested in God, they also get more and more interested in a place. Because there has to be something else. There has to be something more. Somewhere we go after this hot mess. Like, there, there's got to be something. And people who are, like, highly logical and, and, and don't deal with abstract well at all, they're, they're pretty much, mm, no, this is all there is. That's all there's ever going to be. And then, like, when you're done, you're done. And they're, like, totally comfortable with that. But I bet they still have a place they love to go to. Because we all have that built-in desire to be connected to something, to somewhere, to some place. A place where they love to go and let everything else drift away. Because believe or not, we are all created with the same yearnings. And I have to think that that's on purpose. The same desire to feel connected on a deeper level than regular existence. We all have that. So what was Thomas asking when he asked how to get there? Because at this point, the disciples did not understand what exactly Jesus was doing. At this point in the story, they still don't fully understand what Jesus is about to do. So where is this new place going to be? What are we about to do? Jesus, I know that you say you're preparing this place, but you haven't said where it is. How will we know the way? And what does Jesus say? I am the way. Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way. What does he mean by that? What is the way I think it's twofold that Jesus is the way he he eternally made a way for each and every one of us and it wasn't through a victorious battle against Rome it wasn't through a victorious battle against the religious leaders with weapons and storming the temple it wasn't through domination of people or overthrowing a corrupt government through sacrifice, a sacrifice, his bodily sacrifice. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, it isn't to say I'm going to tell you about the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to show you. I want to show you. This Jesus life. Yes, it's about this eternal dwelling place, but it's also about a life of sacrifice. It's twofold. So, if we're going to be Jesus kind of people, we have to know what that way looked like for Jesus and how it looks for us. This way of sacrifice, what does that look like for us if the price has already been paid eternally? I know it doesn't look like domination over people. That much Jesus made clear. It's not earthly power. The way is the way of the cross. And while there is only one sacrifice that paid for the price for humanity forever and ever, amen, as Jesus' followers, as followers of the way, we too are called to that kind of self-sacrifice. Now, if you look in your Bible later, if you go back and read this, um, we get kind of distracted by like chapter headings that they put in the Bible, like the way we organize it to make it easy to read, and we have all the numbers, the chapters, the verses, like all of that. So sometimes we forget that the story is going along, and for this to really make sense, you kind of have to read the one right before it so that you know that these two things are talking to each other. Or maybe the one after, those are talking to each other. But originally, this scripture, if you look at it, we need to understand what Jesus had been talking about just before this. Because he had been telling them that he is going to be a sacrifice. And when we read this scripture today, we know the end of the story. So the dwelling place makes perfect sense to us. But for the disciples at the time, they were, like, not sure about what was going on. What we know is that soon Jesus will die a criminal's death. He will die at the hand of the religious and governmental authorities. He will die publicly humiliated. He will die thirsty and wounded and to the cheers of the masses. Jesus knew that was coming. He knew that was coming. And in this chapter today, he was trying to prepare his disciples to understand that he was going somewhere that they could not. They couldn't make that sacrifice for us. Only Jesus could. But he was going to prepare a place for them to follow. And how they got there, the way, would be by living the truth of the Jesus way through self sacrifice so that passage before him in in uh, chapter 13 of john jesus knew what was coming he could have thrown himself a goodbye party like if i'm going out i want to go out big right gather all your friends your family like you really want to like have fun because this is going to be it end of the world party right like this is it he could have found his favorite place and gone there one last time. He could have eaten his favorite meal and he could have drank enough wine to forget about it all. But instead, in the passage before this passage that we read today, in chapter 13, instead, what Jesus does is he pours water into a basin and he washes each of his disciples feet it's at this point in in other churches who might be less socially awkward than i am where we break out the basin and make you all like bring your feet forward i'm not going to do that today (laughs) everyone like froze like this is about to happen we're not going to do that today but as jesus knelt down at his disciples feet with this basin of water and this towel and he starts washing their feet. When he gets to Peter, Peter, kind of the leader of the group, the oldest one of the disciples, he gets to Peter. And, and to Peter's great horror, he cannot believe that Jesus has knelt at his feet and is about to wash him. And Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, I want you to hear that. Like, if I came to you right now and said I'm going to wash your feet, you'd be like, mm mm probably not going to do that. Probably not. And so for Peter, this is even a bigger thing. Like washing of feet was a little more common than the way that we do it today. But like to have your Lord kneel at your feet, break out that basin and start washing the, the dust that's been caked into your sandaled feet. And this is what Jesus says to him. You do not realize what I'm doing but later you will understand. And after Jesus washes all of their feet and they recline at the table while they're breaking bread, while while they're having and sharing that meal, and this is where he looks at Judas and he hands him a piece of bread because he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And this is when Peter then declares, you know, I would die for you, Lord. And he said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he first washes their feet, and then he tells them how they're going to break his heart. This is the way of Jesus. This is his teaching. This is our life as Jesus' followers. It is the washing the feet of people who don't deserve it. It is that kind of love and mercy. It is self-sacrifice to such a degree that people get a glimpse of what heaven truly is, not in a faraway dwelling place, but here on earth. Yes, there is a place that has been prepared for us. Jesus says so in our scripture. But the way is also here and now. It's how we give people a glimpse of this place that is somewhere far off in existence. We can offer that to them here so that they might also know the way. So as we begin to like go into a time of of communion, something that we always go, go towards here at the table, I want you to imagine this morning, I want everyone to just close your eyes for a moment. No falling asleep, just eyes closed. And I want you to imagine the feet of the person that you least want to serve. Maybe it is a family member whom you despise. Maybe it's a neighbor who just gets on your nerves. Maybe it's a coworker or a classmate who you don't understand, you don't agree with, and you can't be around because they just grate on you. I want you to picture their feet and picture them as gnarly as you possibly can. I want you to picture those feet, and I want you to picture washing them. Imagine yourself kneeled at their feet. Imagine yourself scrubbing away dirt and touching calluses. Imagine them looking down at you and the feeling you have with touching this person's feet and serving them. In one of the most humbling ways that you possibly can. Then I want you to picture Jesus doing the same thing for you. What do your feet look like in Jesus' hands today? What kind of mercy is Jesus offering you today? Let us pray. God, we thank you for this gift of communion. We thank you for the opportunity to receive it together.